The following audio is from St. Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St. Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. The reading is taken from Amos chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, and then jumping forward to verse 21 to 24, if you'd like to take a moment to find that in your Bibles. For I know how many are your offences, and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes, and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Verse 21. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. New Testament reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I sometimes wonder what job I would have ended up in if I hadn't become a vicar. 
More than likely, I would have ended up doing something in media or communications. Maybe I would have even gone back to being a lawyer. But sometimes I think maybe I should have been a taxi driver. And the reason for that is simply the number of times that I have in the past been mistaken for a taxi driver. There was, for instance, the time when I turned up at a church to speak at a conference on the rise of the British National Party, only to be asked by one of the other speakers there if I was his taxi driver. Then there was the time when I was walking into my office at the Diocese of Birmingham and a candidate who was there to be interviewed for the post of Diocesan Director of Ordinance asked me if I was there to pick her up, if I was her taxi driver. And then there was the time I was due to take part in a conference at St George's Chapel at Windsor Castle and on asking directions for the car park was told that I wouldn't be allowed in the car park and that taxis need to pick up their clients outside. Now all of those stories and more painful incidents besides, uh, some of which took place here in Durham, have all come flowing back this week. There was for instance the time in 2004 when I was walking home along Church Street on my home to Cranmer Hall when a car slowed down and two men wound down their windows to racially abuse me before driving away. It reminded me of the incident spoken about by John Sentamu, the Archbishop of York, who retires from his post today after years as a good and faithful servant to the church. He has spoken of the time when he was leaving a church service only to be spat at by four young men who shouted at him, nigger, go back. His reply to them was simply to say, my friend, you have wasted your saliva. Now it's been a long time, a long, long time since I've thought about any of the incidents I've just spoken about. But the events of these past weeks have brought them all flooding back after the death of George Floyd. Many of you will be familiar with the events that occurred almost two weeks ago on May the 25th in St Paul, Minneapolis. Derek Chauvin, a Minneapolis police officer, was captured on video kneeling on the neck of Mr Floyd as he begged for his life. I can't breathe man, Floyd can be heard saying in the video. Please, please let me stand, please man. Mr Chauvin kept his knee on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. He did not remove his knee, even after George Floyd lost consciousness 
he kept his knee in place for a full minute after paramedics arrived at the scene. And all of this took place in broad daylight, with people telling the police to get off the man, to let him stand up, to let him breathe. A recent autopsy this week found that George Floyd died as the result of asphyxia. What took place in Minneapolis that day was the equivalent of a modern day lynching, where a man lost his life simply for being black. And in the midst of that story, of that event and all the challenges that have flowed from it. This morning, I want to talk about hope. The hope to be found in the kingdom of God, described by Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth, which Janet read to us this morning. It's a message of hope. One that comes from seeing the kingdom of God being built in each generation and of knowing the character of Jesus Christ, who comes to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the oppressed and the enslaved, recovery of sight for the blind, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It's an invitation to join in the work of a God of justice, whose spirit is at work in our church and in the world, and it's a message of hope that we desperately need to be reminded of today. Now, today is uh, a day when in the church's calendar, we mark Trinity Sunday, a day when we consider that holy community of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit engaged in a cosmic dance, which is ever moving energizing and generating a holy community of love, wonder and grace, the three in one and one in three. It is that community that we are all called upon to emulate in the community of hope that is to be found in the church, in the local church particularly. And if the events of the past week provide any learning, then it is the need for communities of hope. Communities which lament together, grieve and cry out in the midst of loss, whether that loss be through illness or brutality. A community that cries out, knowing that our story does not end in death, in disease, in violence or brutality, but that as a community of hope, that hope comes from the ongoing movement of the Trinity. And just like those first disciples who rejoiced in the resurrection on that first Easter day and whose hope was realised in seeing the risen Christ, so we too find ourselves living through those moments between Good Friday and Easter morning, 
when our songs of praise are replaced by cries of lament, and when fear and hope do battle in our hearts as we teeter on the brink of despair. My friends, this is where I have found myself these past days after the death of George Floyd. My emotional response has taken me by surprise as every incident of racial abuse, every racial slur, the institutional racism and systematic injustice built, built upon racist assumptions have all come flooding back to me in a bewildered mess of tears, anger and frustration. Whilst all the while praying, as we have as a church done each day this week, praying prayers of lament for the situation in America. But what, you may ask, does all of this have to do with us here in Durham? Miles away from Minneapolis, blessed members of a church community where, praise God, racism is hard to find. The answer, I think, comes in our Old Testament reading this morning from Amos chapter 5, which begins with a warning to the people of God. The divine call to justice has been ignored. Justice has been denied. The people have been overlooked. Meanwhile, God's people carry on day to day, performing their rituals, singing their songs, whilst those amongst them who suffer are denied justice. The Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, has its root in both fairness and equity. When used in reference to courts and judges, as in our reading this morning, it means acquitting or punishing every person simply on the merits of the case, regardless of their race, their power or their wealth. It is a call to impartiality, a call to dispense justice as God would do it. But more broadly through the Old Testament, where the word mishpat appears over 200 times, time and again it's connected to justice for the marginalised, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants and the poor. There's four groups described by Nicholas Wollstonecraft in his book Justice as the quartet of the vulnerable. And God's warning to his people at the start of uh, Amos chapter 5 is twofold. First it comes in an instruction in verses 14 to 15 from our reading, which is to hate evil, do good and to maintain justice. And the second is that if you fail to do this, if you ignore the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, the poor, then do not come to me with your praise or your songs, because they will be a stench to me. The Baptist preacher Steve Holloway put it this way, if we simply do church, and ignore the injustice in our society. It is too weak to say that we disappoint God. Amos says that God finds a church like that disgusting. 
I don't want your offerings, the Lord says. I can't stand the noise of your praise songs and your organ preludes. If you don't want to do justice, get out of my house. So my friends, the message is clear. If our worship and our praise, the songs that we have sung this morning, are to be an acceptable offering to God, if our relationship with the Trinity of hope is to be right, then we cannot ignore injustice. And then we have the final verses in our reading this morning. The promise of what the Trinity brings, the hope of what is to come, when we see the kingdom of God in full flow, where justice rolls like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Those words famously quoted by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in his most famous speech, I have a dream, where he spoke of the great tomorrow, when the morning stars will sing together and the children of God will shout for joy. And my friends, it is that joy that we find in the words of Jesus in our New Testament reading this morning. About three and a half years ago now, I found myself filling in forms for posts to serve as a parish priest in the Church of England. One of the forms I filled in asked, what passages of scripture or verses are particularly important to you or help to shape you. And I remember filling in that form and writing about our gospel passage from this morning. Now, whilst it's true to say that there are passages of the Bible, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 13, the whole of the book of Psalms, John chapter 3, which have informed my faith and understanding this is this passage, Luke 4, verses 14 to 20, more than any other that shaped, formed and inspired me, particularly in my first steps with my walk with Jesus Christ. I became a, a Christian in the 1980s. I was baptised uh, by full immersion uh, at the age of 16 in my local Baptist church back in 1988. And as I began to explore my faith and to learn more about the person of Jesus of Nazareth, as I began to develop my relationship with him, I began to change the way I saw the world and the injustices that were apparent in it, and also to note who the people were who were leading the fight, the battle against those injustices. And at that time, back in the late 80s, at the forefront of those movements were Christian women and men who were putting their faith, their discipleship into action by being part of, by founding or leading movements of justice. There were the women and men, the worshippers of St Nicholas Church in Leipzig, whose prayer and action became the focus point for the fall of the Berlin Wall. There were people like Lech Walesa, who led the Polish trade union Solidarity. There was Bruce Kent, 
who chaired the campaign for nuclear disarmament. There was Peter Benenson, still leading Amnesty International, the charity he founded, and Chad Vara, leading the Samaritans, the charity he founded. Each of them leading movements of justice and care. But it was in the area of racial justice that I most understood how the Jesus' words at Nazareth took shape. To begin with, for me, it was involvement in the anti-apartheid movement, whose work focused on the daily injustices endured by people of colour in South Africa, who lived under a system of law which officially enshrined them as second-class citizens in society. In the years that followed, in the early 90s, I became an active anti-racist campaigner, joining in marches and demonstrations for justice for those who had been murdered here in Britain in racist attacks. I remember going on marches demonstrating for young men such as Ricky Real, Rohit Doggle, Stephen Lawrence. And when I was asked by those with whom I marched how it was that I came to be there, I'd be able to tell them with passion that it wasn't just the colour of my skin that compelled me to be on the street, but the faith of my heart that compelled me to act. That the Jesus I knew and followed was a God of justice and righteousness who stood alongside all who had experienced the brutalities of injustice. My friends, we are called as a church to be a community of hope, a city shining on the hill where people are drawn to us because they see the kingdom of God being built and want to join in. A community of hope that in the midst of a pandemic says, we will walk this path with you. A community of hope that mourns with those who mourn and rejoices with those who rejoice. A community of hope where justice rolls on like a river and righteousness like a never ending stream. For every Christian, for every person who has confessed with their lips and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our lifelong journey of discipleship is rooted in a vision of hope that dares to shout out in the darkness, whatever form that darkness may take, that the story does not end here. We look forward to that day when a choking cry or struggling breath will be replaced by a full-throated shout that justice has come, that the image of a man using his knee to suffocate the life breath out of another is replaced and redeemed by our falling to our knees in surrender and yielding to the overflowing love and grace of a God who gives us life and breath through his spirit in full flow. 
In the weeks and months to come, there'll be opportunities. Opportunities to shape both ourselves and our church to the challenges of the injustices that will come as we seek to make sense of a society where the welfare of the old has been relegated, where economic hardship will become an increasing reality and where systems of racism will need to be challenged. This will be hard, slow work, but it is the work of justice. The Trinity calls us, invites us, compels us to join in that journey of justice today that leads us both in hope and in joy to build the kingdom of God. My friends, the Holy Trinity calls us. How will we respond? Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.